Greetings, I'm Brother Judah from the Congregation of Israel, a representative of the NMP, the Nazarene Messianic Party. And we have with us on today, uh, um, joining us for today's discussion is Brother Bethel, a member of the Congregation of Israel and a representative of the NMP, the Nazarene Messianic Party. And we are the Biblical School of Global Liberation for all oppressed people. And we'd like to welcome you and uh, joining our joining us in our podcast, What Is To Be Done? We are an organization that deal with the Bible from a social political perspective. And we argue that is the proper way to deal with the Bible from a social political perspective, seeing that the Bible deals with kingdoms and nations and governments and the conduct of mankind inside of its societies and social systems. So we argue that in order to get a, uh, a, a proper context of the biblical um, messages to approach it from this point or this perspective is necessary. If you are interested in more of our teachings, you could contact us at www.thenmp.org or, or should I say you can visit this web page and there you can uh, find our numbers. You could contact us via phone or email, and we do our best to respond to the, to the messages. Or you could even join our mailing list. If you're interested in our teachings uh, video, by way of video, um, as of now, you can contact us, or should I say visit Knesset Yeshua channel on YouTube. It is spelled K-N-E-S-S-E-T-Y-S-H-U-A. There, if you go to the home channel, you can scroll over past the videos and playlists and you will find channels or related channels. There, if you click that link, you can find other content and other YouTube channels that we have. We're also working on bringing um, more information on uh, BitChute and Rumble and various other uh, you uh, should I say um, video um, platforms. Here on this screen as well, you can contact us um, or visit our other web page, the coi.org. And you can visit us on Facebook at face, www.facebook.com NMP News. Again, we encourage the people to call and um, if you're looking at this on YouTube, uh, in the uh, description box, you will also find this information with our phone number. And also, I haven't mentioned, but we have been working on making a, a presence on Clubhouse. We've been there for a few months. And so um, you can contact us to find out how to uh, join in one of our Clubhouse sessions, or if you are already on Clubhouse, search for the NMP, the Nazarene Messianic Party. We have a Nazarene Messianic Party 1, and we have a Nazarene Messianic Party 2 on Clubhouse. So we ask you to join us into our discussions, or if you want to ask questions or sit in for some of our um, dialogue. Today, we're going to uh, continue to investigate the Apostle Saul or the Apostle Paul and his revolutionary discipline. We uh, have been investigating this and seeing that 
the apostle Saul was instructing the servants to follow his ways as he followed the Christ. And he was instructing the people to prepare themselves to engage in a, a confrontation, or as he put, wrestle against the principalities and powers and authorities and rulers of the darkness of this age. And so he was giving the people the necessary uh, instructions. And he said, if you follow my instructions, if you follow what I have taught you and what you have learned from me, then the God of peace will be with you. And these instructions was to build up the people's confidence, or should I say the saints, if we're so blessed to be saints, to build up our confidence, to teach us truth, to be removed from a world or a society of false realities and deception, to equip us and to build within us and within our bosom or within our hearts, a heart or a psychology of justice and equity. And in so doing, the God of peace will dwell with us and we will move in the power of his might. And we are to also have faith. And as I said, confidence or hope signified by the helmet of salvation. And the apostle Paul was uh, in, in Ephesians, he was speaking of um, a conflict that was occurring in Isaiah 59. Thus, if you want to read where he received this message of putting on the armor of God, it is found in the book of Isaiah chapter 59, when the creator looked upon the earth and to see, was there any man to perform the work? And in fact, since I mentioned it, before we go to Corinthians, I know I said Corinthians, but before we go there, let's briefly take that journey again back into Ephesians chapter 6. And, and when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, um, we're not going to read the entire thing because we read that in our last session. But when we go to Ephesians chapter 6, what I would like for us to do is actually start reading this verse here where he says, put on the armor of God, verse 11 and verse 13. When you get it, my brother, read that for us, please. And it reads, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done it all to stand. All right. So he said, put on this armor of God. And so when we find a, this conflict that was transpiring, dealing with the powers of injustice and the powers of oppression in Isaiah 59, and the call for justice and truth 
in Isaiah 59 and how these forces were to collide those forces which stood for justice and equity and truth in Isaiah 59. It was to collide against the powers of darkness, which were powers that forsook the truth and that walked far away from equity. And they, as he said in verse 4 of Isaiah 59, none calleth for justice, nor any pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity. They speak lies. They conceive mischief. And they bring forth iniquity. And seeing, he said that they pleaded, or should I say, they brought forth iniquity. The creator argued. In verse 8, the way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever go in shall not know peace. Why? Because they forsook the paths of justice. None called for justice. None pleaded for truth. But instead, the prophetic language teaches us that they trust, they trusted in oppression. Verse 11, I mean, excuse me, verse 13. If you would, start at verse 13. So we see this struggle between those who forsook justice and those who the creator have called to walk in justice and truth. Look what he says about those who forsook justice so we can understand the context of the armor that Saul was making reference to in Ephesians. Verse 13. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, and verses 13. For our, excuse me, in transgression and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Yes, go ahead. And, and judgment is turned away backwards. And justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Now, notice what he's saying. Why is this? Because it's people speak or they trust in oppression. So, therefore, justice standeth afar off, and truth is fallen in the streets. Now, notice the creator's displeasure. Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. If man was not supposed to do something about this, if man was not supposed to be an intercessor, why would God marvel or wonder at it? He wondered that there was no man to do nothing. Now watch this. What did he say? Therefore what? Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Oh, the power and might of God brought salvation. Now watch this. Notice the power and might of God. What is that? Go ahead, verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance or clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Isn't that what Paul said? Put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and verse 13. So if the Messiah, the messianic head, was called to put on this breastplate of righteousness, 
in this helmet of salvation. Saul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if we're, if the Messiah did it, Paul did it. And now Paul was telling his servants to do what? Ephesians chapter 6 and 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wherefore, now, go ahead. Verses 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. What exactly are the wiles of the devil? You read Isaiah 59 and it'll tell you. None call for justice, none pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity, speak lies, and conceive mischief and iniquity. The wiles of the devil have called the people to speak oppression. The wiles of the devil have called the people to forsake equity. Judgment is turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. Truth falleth in the streets and equity cannot enter. We find that the entire struggle and confrontation is between the just who stands and bring forth justice and the unjust who bring forth injustice, misery, and oppression. This is the war. This is the conflict. And this is what Saul was talking about. And this is what we're dealing with here as we analyze the Apostle Saul's revolutionary discipline. How do we get the discipline to wage this manner of war? Let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in fact, I'm sorry, before we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and start reading at verse 4. But before you read that, now, because he mentioned his helmet of salvation, let's look at it, this again in, 1 Thess in 2 Thessalonians. Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starting at verse eight. And let's look at this hope of salvation or this confidence of salvation, all right? Because we read before that the people, the poor, and let me read this as well, just in case people didn't catch it in the beginning. When we're looking for this salvation, there's a problem of a lack of confidence among the people because we read out of this work from dictatorship to democracy. Many people now suffering under the brutal dictatorship or who have gone into exile to escape this Im its immediate grasp do not believe that the oppressed can liberate themselves. Liberate, them liberate themselves from what? Oppression and um, inequality, inequity. So this is what Isaiah was making reference to. He was speaking of this conflict. And the creator looked and said, he marveled that there was no man. Because since they didn't know truth, then they believed they couldn't accomplish the task. Many people now suffering under a brutal dictatorship or who have gone into exile to escape its immediate grasp do not believe. They do not have the faith that the oppressed can liberate themselves. They expect that their people can only be saved by actions of others. These people place their confidence in external forces, meaning external earthly forces. 
Now watch this. They lack the faith. He also adds, as noted, often oppressed people are unwilling and temporarily unable to struggle because they have no confidence. So they have no faith. They have no confidence in their ability to face the ruthless dictatorship. And also, number three, no known way to save themselves. And that's why we read this scripture today. So look at this again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. And let's see the Apostle Saul talks about faith, confidence, or hope. And we're going to bring something else out. This behavior uh, under the uh, identification or classification of agape or charity or love. We're going to look at that because he's actually describing a behavior necessary in revolutionary discipline. But look what he says here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for in helmet the hope of salvation. That's right. We got to put on this helmet of hope. Hope is confidence, faith, right? And love. Now, what is love? Love, if we find, let's go, now let's go to this Corinthians. Let's go to this Corinthians 4. Love. Love is the Greek word agape. So here we look at this interlinear, 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Love is this Greek word agape. Love, agape. What exactly is agape? Love. If we look at this, agape is properly love, which centers in moral preference. It centers in moral preference. What is morals? According to the Webster's Dictionary, moral of or relating to principles of right and wrong in behavior. So when we're looking at agape or love, we're looking at a behavior. So go and read that for us, brother. Let's start this, this off. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Let's look at this description of a behavior. When you get it, go for it. And it reads, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Wait a minute. It rejoices not in iniquity. It rejoices not in iniquity. So this word iniquity, it said is not easily provoked. And here in verse six, not delight at unrighteousness. So in our King James Bible, it says rejoices not in iniquity. Iniquity is adikia. Adikia is the Greek number 93 in the Greek 
dictionary, and adikia means injustice. So this moral uh, behavior rejoices not in injustice, but it rejoices in aletheia, truth, true realities. So they always go together. If you want truth, the Bible's making reference to true realities opposite of illusions or delusions or sophistries which must be destroyed which hold the truth of god and suppress the truth of god in injustice so sophistries and injustice must be destroyed those with the moral ethic or behavior which is classified under charity or love will seek to destroy sophistries and injustice why because of rejoice in truth and sophistries and injustice suppress the truth so those of us with the moral ethic or this moral behavior called love greek agape it's not talking about a religious sentiment it's talking about a behavior it's actually making reference to a revolutionary discipline a certain behavior under revolutionary discipline. Truth it seeks because it rejoices in. It delights not in injustice. That's what I want us to know. So if we bag up a little bit more, this charity, which is agape, charity, which is agape. And then it says, here we have agape, 26 charity, right? We move forward, agape, a charity, properly, love, which centers in moral preference, right? In antiquity, let me see here. So to the secular Greek, so too in secular Greek, agape focuses on preference. So he's saying secular Greek. In other words, how this word was re regularly used, it wasn't a sentiment like religion have done. But in the regular world of the Greeks, when, we made, when they made mention of agape, translated as love, they were making reference to a preference. So Saul was making reference to a moral preference, which will develop a certain character of behavior and he's going to explain what that moral preference should be. Moral preference, right? So what is moral? Relating to the principles of right and wrong, ethical judgments, behavior and ethical judgments. This ethical judgment is founded upon patience. So this behavior, you must have a behavior of patience. What did the King James say? Suffereth long. Read that verse four for me again. Verses four, excuse me, this is the book of First Corinthians chapter 13 and verses four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. 
All right, just a moment. Now notice this. It is, it suffereth long. That means patient. It's 3114. So we have this moral character being built. This behavior that Saul said, if you follow me as I follow Christ, then the God of peace will be with you if you do what I have taught you and what you have learned from me. So now we're learning of the confidence and the faith that is needed to walk in the strength of God, to struggle against the principalities and powers. Now we're learning more about the revolutionary discipline. We need a discipline of patience or suffereth long. It means patience. Mac Rotho male. Rack Motho, Mac Rotho male. Suffereth long. Or what does it say? Properly long tempered. It says refusing to retaliate with anger because of human reasoning, right? But the raw definition, this is true too, but we want to put it in a different context. It means to persevere. Mac Rothumel means to persevere, long suffer. It means to persevere. Now, what do persevere means according to Webster's Dictionary? Persevere. It means, or it is, the definition is, it's continued effort to do or achieve something despite of difficulties or opposition. To do or achieve something despite of difficulties or opposition. So the fiery darts of the devil, all of its oppositions and antagonisms, we shall persevere. If we're struggling against the powers of darkness, we must persevere. This is what he's arguing. We must persevere. Now, he began to also argue about this idea of selflessness. We're not braggarts. We do not envy. We're not puffed up. We do not entertain or delight in iniquity. He also argues that we do not keep account of or hold or think or regard evil reasoning, but we are persevering. But he also said we're kind. Is that what he said about in verse four? Let's look at kind, to be kind. Would you read that for me, brother? Verse four again, then we're going to move on. This is the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verses four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunted not itself, is not buffed up. All right. So he said, charity suffereth long, and it is kind. It is not puffed up. It is kind. Now notice this here. We have went over this, but I want to bring this out again. This idea to be kind. It is not puffed up, but it is kind. So when we're looking at kind, it is making reference to this uh, Greek word, krasteo, uh, krasteo ome, yo omahi, krasteo yo omahi. So forgive me in the pronunciation. 
but it's the Greek word 5541. And it is defined as to show oneself useful, that is act benevolently. To show oneself useful or to act benevolently. And when we looked up this benevolence and wanted to find out what does it mean to act benevolently, we went to the Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. The Webster's Collegiate Dictionary gave us this definition of what it means to act benevolently. And on page 106, we find this definition, to act benevolently. So one is to show oneself youthful. Useful. If you're struggling against oppression, you can show yourself useful. If you're breaking the yoke of those who have the prisoners that have been bound, then we are showing ourselves useful. So we want to put kindness and benevolence in the context of revolutionary struggle. Now watch this aspect of it. To show oneself useful, useful, and it also reads benevolent. Organize for the purpose of doing good. Organize for the purpose of doing good. So we come together in faith and confidence with this behavior of patience, with this behavior to make ourselves useful and to organize ourselves for doing good. For what reasons? To struggle against the principalities and powers the rulers and authorities of the darkness of this age. We organize to show ourselves useful for the sake of doing good, to struggle against the powers of darkness. So when we apply these teachings to revolutionary context, then it takes on a whole different life. Now, with that being said, Looking into this discipline, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness of this world. That's what we're wrestling against. How do we wrestle against them? Not with weapons of war, counter warfare, right? We wrestle against them by tearing down sophistries, strongholds. Let's read that again. Then we're going to go into a little bit of this text, violent, uh, um, what is it entitled here? Then we want to read a little bit of this work, Politics of Nonviolence. But first, we want to show you what our weapons of war consist of once again, to bring it back to our minds. Let's, for the sake of it, read it first from the Jerusalem Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 10, out of the Jerusalem Bible, starting at verse three. Second Corinthians chapter 10, let's start at verse three. When you get it, go for it, my brother. Yes, sir, I'm just trying to grab the print. Okay. So let's notice carefully how this is to take place. When we're looking at this struggle, this revolutionary discipline to be patient, to persevere, 
against all opposition, to rejoice in true reality, to despise inequality, to despise injustice, but to rejoice in justice. This is a certain character. This is a certain behavior necessary for the liberation or the salvation of man. So let's start at verse three when you get it, my brother. Yes, sir. And it reads, we live in the flesh, of course, but the muscles that we fight with are not flesh. Our war is not fought with weapons of flesh, yet they are strong enough in God's cause to demolish fortresses. We demolish sophistries. Sophistries are lies, lies, falsehoods. We demolish sophistries, continue. And the arrogance that tries to resist the knowledge of God. Every thought is our prisoner, captured to be brought into obedience to Christ. Once you have given your complete obedience, we are prepared to punish any disobedience. All right. So notice when he says, our war is not fought with weapons of flesh, yet they are strong enough in God's cause to demolish fortresses. They are strong enough to demolish fortresses. Who dwell in the fortresses? The rulers of this world, the powers of darkness. The fortresses are signified as the seat of the powers of darkness, the rulers and authorities of this world who oppress unjustly and cruelly the masses of the people of the world. Now, with that being said, our weapons are not current. Let's go into this text. So what we're looking at here, if our weapons are not kernel, then we are arguing that our warfare, to struggle and wrestle against the powers of darkness, isn't with cannons and guns and, and throwing bricks and bottles. But Saul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Did we read that? Did I have you read that in this session? No. Let's read that in this session. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. And I want to show you, we, we want to get into something else. But let's set the stage for this again, for this session. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. And it reads, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now watch this. He said, follow me. And then he argued, our weapons of war are not common. Let's see where he get this from. Let's go, if you will, to the book of Matthew and look at something that was going on here. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to, before we read this, I want to show you something that was happening here where the Messiah had the same argument our weapons of war are not carnal. He's having a discourse with Peter or with his disciples and letting them know that he will be delivered over into the hands of the powers of this world, the imperial powers. 
by way of the beneficiaries of the imperial powers. And that was the ruling class and the aristocracy of his own people delivered the Christ over to the empire. The same empire that furnished the wealth of the scribes, Sadducees, and Pharisees. So he's telling, I'm, I'm going to be delivered. But Peter, Simon, said, no, we're not going to let this happen to you. Now, when he say this, later on, the context of the, uh, uh, the night before his execution shows us what Peter meant. But Peter said, I'm not going to let them take you. We're not going to do that. He said, listen, you're going to deny me three times. Peter didn't know why. But Peter said, we're not going to let them take you. Watch this discourse here. Matthew 16 and 23. And it reads, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm sorry, I had you start too early. If you will, start from verse 20. Yes, sir. This is the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verses 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was with Jesus Christ. Verses 21. From that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then Jesus said unto his disciples. That's good. Any... You, said he, you said you favor the things of God. You don't favor the things of God, but the things of men. And then he said unto his disciples, what? Read that verse 23 again, because your, your mic broke up a little bit. Yes, sir. This is the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verses 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You got to follow the same pattern. Remember the Messiah said, follow me. Or as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Did I have you read that? We read that. Yes, sir. First Corinthians chapter First 11, verse 1. Yes, sir. Now the Messiah said, pick up your cross and follow me. Lay your life down. Self-denial is what the cross represents. And he said, listen, Peter, you desire the things of men, not of God. What did Peter, what could he have possibly meant? We won't let them take you. Well, let's find out the methods because Saul said that our weapons of war are not carnal. So when Peter was thinking, don't let them take you, it was revealed what he was actually making reference to possibly. Now let's take our journey to Matthew 26 and 52. Peter was this servant that drew the sword when the authorities came to arrest the master while he was in Jerusalem. See. Peter was ready to go with weapons of war, iron weapons, swords, but the Messiah had to rebuke him. See, that's the way of men. I'm telling you another way. Now watch this, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 52. 
and it reads, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Put your sword up, Peter. And this was Peter who drew the sword. For the sake of time, we're not reading the entire thing. Peter drew his sword, and the master told him, no, this is not how we're going about it. He that lives by the sword, put it away. Put it up for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. So when Saul is explaining that our weapons of war is internal, who did he get it from? The master. The master is who we got it from. But yet our weaponry is superior, is tear down strongholds. It break down for fortresses. It has the capacity and the power to crush and demolish the ruling class and all dictatorships and forces of oppression if we know how to use it. And that's why he's trying to teach us how to use it. But we must be disciplined. Patience. We must have hope and confidence. We must not seek our own. Our own lives should not come into play. He said, take up your cross and follow me. This is what Paul was saying with charity. It seeketh not his own. It's not puffed up. It's not worried about his own. It only seeks. It rejoices in justice. It abhors injustice. These are the revolutionary qualities and revolutionary disciplines of behavior that is necessary for the liberation struggle. Now watch this. That's good out of uh, 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 the Gospels, right? That's good out of that. So when we read this here that the apostle saw saying our weapons of war are not carnal, that's not how we do things. Let's go a little further now. Page 601. In this text, The Politics of Nonviolence, page 601, Solidarity and Discipline. So we see that Paul said our weapons of war isn't carnal weapon. The Messiah said, put up the sword. But yet they're arguing that we must confront and wrestle against the principalities and powers. How will we do this? By discipline and nonviolent action. Notice Gene Sharp begins to expound on this science of warfare that the Bible is actually teaching us. Because remember, he said the people don't know the way. Before you read this, let me read to show you the problem. The reason why people have a problem now is because they don't have the confidence and that's what the, or the faith. And that's why he said many people now suffering. This would be first chapter, facing dictatorships realistically. Page nine, out of From Dictatorship to Democracy, Gene Sharp argued, many people now suffering under a brutal dictatorship or who have gone into exile to escape its immediate grasp do not believe that the oppressed can liberate themselves. They expect that their people can only be saved by the actions of others. So we see the Bible is teaching us to have faith. Is teaching us to believe. 
because this is necessary for liberation. If we don't believe, then we will always look for deliverance outside of ourselves instead of God working through us and giving us the strength to be free. So we got to believe. And we've been noticing the Bible said, put on faith. Gene Sharp further adds on page 10. As noted, often oppressed people are unwilling and temporarily unable to struggle because they have no confidence in their ability to face the ruthless dictatorship and no known way to save themselves. So they need confidence and the knowledge of how to gain salvation. Not a Messiah is teaching us. Paul is teaching us. Our weapons of war are not carnal, but it's the tearing down of the strongholds. It's being girded about with truth and our loins and justice in the recesses of our hearts, confidence, faith, long-suffering, patience. These are the necessary requirements and conditionings to create a character and behavior within us to win the victory, to, should I say, win the battle. This will lead us to victory or salvation. And what is it describing? The success in a nonviolent confrontation. Nonviolent political action. Page 601. Let's read that second paragraph beginning with success in nonviolent struggle. When you get it, my brother, go ahead and read it for us. Success in nonviolent struggle depends to an extremely high degree upon the persistence of the nonviolent actions in fighting with their own methods. Wait a minute. Didn't that, isn't that what we just finished reading out of this? Charity, long-suffering, or patience. Patience meant persistence. This is a revolutionary discipline. Success in nonviolent struggle. Peter, put away your sword. Paul says, listen, our weapons of warfare isn't carnal. So we're describing nonviolent struggle and success because they said the power of God will be with us. The victory is sure. So success in nonviolent struggle depends on an extremely high degree, or it depends to an extremely high degree upon the persistence of the nonviolent actionist in fighting with their own methods. The methods of what? Not weapons of war, not like men of the world, but tearing down strongholds and fortresses by the power of God and his word and his truth. So read this again now. He's describing one of the revolutionary disciplines or behavior that Saul was teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 8 and also Ephesians chapter 6 starting from verse 10. And we also find it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, patience or persistence, aka perseverance. 
If you would, my brother, read that again since I interrupted you. Yes, sir. Success in nonviolent struggle depends to an extremely high degree upon the persistence of the nonviolent actionists in fighting with their own methods and upon their refusing all temptation, whether caused by emotional hostility to the opponent's brutalities, by temptations of temporary gains, or by agents provocateurs to fight with the opponent's weapons system. Is that what happened with Peter? Was he tempted to engage with warfare with the authorities that came by night to gather the Christ when he said, you come after me like I am a, 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 a brigand, a part of a brigand, a bandit, and you have come out here with stabs and swords. And so therefore, Peter was provoked. He was tempted. But the master said, put the sword away. Why? Because success in this nonviolent struggle depends extremely to a high degree upon the persistence of the nonviolent actionists and fighting with their own methods. What are our methods? The war of word, the weaponry of word. Our method is faith, confidence, and the sword of the spirit. This is the platform we want on, and we must hold to this. And he explains, if the nonviolent group switches to violence, it has, in effect, consented to fight on the opponent's own terms and with weapons where most of the advantages lie with him. We know this to be true biblically in Jesus and Paul's day because Revelation 13 says what? The beast had iron teeth, stamped the residue. Who can make war with the beast? Who can engage in physical warfare with the beast? That was the question of the citizens. But the beast have an Achilles heel, and that is to attack the beast by the word of God, by way of persistence, by way of faith, confidence, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, tearing down sophistries, removing false realities, uprooting and destroying injustice in so doing, because the injustice holds the truth. So as we free the truth, then we are simultaneously destroying and uprooting the foundations of injustice. This is where our war lies. Once we know how to do it, then we can get the confidence because as long as we don't have the confidence or as long as we don't have the know-how, we don't have the confidence. And if we don't have the confidence, then there is no faith there. And there we continue to look for outside forces to liberate us. But the Bible is telling us to look within. That's what it's telling us. So we see here, Success of nonviolent struggle depends on an extremely high degree. Success in nonviolent struggle depends to an extremely high degree upon the persistence or long suffering of the nonviolent actionists in fighting with their own methods. Put the sword away. Our weapons of war is in carnal. 
It is the tearing down of strongholds and the destroying of sophistries and all imaginations and any knowledge that arrogantly puffeth itself up against the knowledges of God. So we are following this science of nonviolent struggle. Let's move forward to page 615. 615. So we can understand we are at war. Girt up ourselves, he says. We are truly at war. Okay. So in doing this, let's go to page 615. The necessity of discipline. So this is why the apostle Saul said, listen to me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Listen to me. If you don't mind, brother, read this again. Read Philippians 4 and 8. Philippians 4 and 8, I believe we want. That Philippians. Is it 4 and 8? Uh, yes, sir. Philippians 4 and 9, actually. And it reads, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Loins girded about with true realities, casting off illusions and delusions and deceit, thus undermining injustice because the truth of God is bound in injustice, Romans 1 and 18. As we release truth and put it upon our loins and release it in the world, injustice is undermined. Gird about with our loins with truth, have within our bosom or within our hearts justice, have faith, perseverance, long suffering, confidence, which is the hope of salvation. And love or charity or agape, which is a behavior that encompasses it all, is all found in the behavior of agape. This revolutionary discipline is found in agape. Long-suffering, rejoicing in justice, despising injustice. So you can hear me clearly. Rejoicing in equity and justice, but it despises iniquity and injustice. So listen to me, and the God of truth will be with you. Listen to the disciplines and the moral character and behavior I am telling you to equip and arm yourself with. Put on the armor of God. Arm yourself with this as we move forward to struggle against the principalities and powers. Now look at page 615, the necessity of discipline. Paul and the apostles had to write this to us because they must teach us discipline and we must learn the necessity of it. That's why Paul said, listen to me, follow it and do it. And the God of peace will be with you. He will lead us to salvation or liberation. When you get it, my brother, page 615, let's start in that first paragraph. If the nonviolent struggle. Yes, sir. If the nonviolent struggle movement is to persist in face of repression, to remain nonviolent, 
and to carry through the campaign discipline among nonviolent actionists is required. Basically, this discipline consists of adherence to certain minimum standards of behavior. That's right. It's a certain behavior. What is the behavior classified under? Agape. Love. But not love like we know it today. We say love today, people think a whole bunch of stuff. I want you to understand love isn't an emotional sentiment. It is a behavior and a revolutionary discipline of long-suffering, of patience, of perseverance, of selflessness, or what they call selflessness, uh, picking up the cross, altruism, selflessness, not seeking his own, not envious, not meditating or holding or retaining evil in our thoughts, but rejoicing in equity and justice. It is this behavior that causes us to wrestle and prevail against the powers of darkness. Let's continue to read. The degree and type of discipline required will vary depending on the situation and the nature of the nonviolent group and of the opponent. That's right. Yes, sir. The absence of discipline will mean that effective use of this technique will become very difficult or impossible. If we don't do what the apostle said do and follow this revolutionary discipline that's laid out in the Bible, then the God of peace will not be with us. Then we, according to Philippians, then we cannot move in his power and in his might in Ephesians chapter six, thus making our struggle difficult or impossible. See, that's why we need to obey and follow Paul as Saul followed Christ. Us arming ourselves with this revolutionary discipline. If we don't have it, the absence of discipline will mean that effective use of this technique, which is the nonviolent action technique, will become very difficult or impossible. We won't win. These are the things we must learn. Let's move over to page 16. Excuse me, 616. Let's read that second paragraph, one sentence, where it says discipline. And then we're going to skip down in that same paragraph where it says, but there must be some type of discipline. So when you get it, my brother, read that for us. Yes, sir. Discipline and nonviolent actions, therefore self-discipline and inner discipline. Inner discipline. He's describing an inner character or behavior of patience, long-suffering, in our bosom, justice and equity founded upon that, right? He's looking at this idea of being selfless, working and moving in altruism, not concerned with our own, denying ourselves, or as the Messiah said, picking up our cross. All of this is self-discipline and inner discipline. That's how we survive. That's how we win, right? But then he continues later on in the paragraph, but there must be what? But there are a 
excuse me, I'm sorry, but there must be some type of discipline. Those who out of ignorance or emotional reaction to discipline would ignore or abolish it in nonviolent action, place the entire struggle in a perilous position. That's right. So we must be equipped with truth. We can't move off of emotional reactions. We have to be, have this discipline, long-suffering discipline, grounded in true reality. That is the only way we can succeed. succeed. If not, then if we don't have that, those who out of ignorance or emotional reaction to discipline will ignore or abolish it in nonviolent action, the entire struggle in a perilous position. So it is imperative that we hold on to this discipline. Let's go to the paragraph that reads, continued participation in the struggle. Yes, sir. Continued participation in the struggle and refusal to submit to fear are the most crucial aims of discipline. Perfect love casts out fear, the elder John said. Continued participation in the struggle. Is this persistence? Is this to persevere? Is this to be long-suffering? Continued participation in the struggle and refusal to submit, refusal to get in, give in because you have faith, you have confidence, long-suffering, persistence. You refuse to give in to fear. You refuse, we refuse to submit to fear, right? Read that again for me since I cut you off. Yes, sir. Continued participation in the struggle and refusal to submit to fear are the most crucial aims of discipline. After this, adherence to nonviolent behavior is the most important single aspect of discipline in this technique. Discipline serves other functions also, including increasing the actionist's ability to withstand severe repression. Discipline causes us to withstand, to lay our life down. It was discipline that caused the master to go before Pilate and not try to escape. It was discipline that Paul said, I'm ready to go to Rome in chains. It was discipline to move forward, even to withstand severe repression. That's what he means, lay our life down. All right? This is what he's arguing. Discipline. Now, let's go a little further. We're almost done for our segment here and our discussion on uh, revolutionary discipline, or should I say, not necessarily done, but we are presenting uh, some evidence here, and God willing, in the future, we will, we will bring more, even more teachings, so all of this could be well-rounded, and you will find, God willing, that this all fits together. Now look, that's page 616. Now I would like to turn to page 636. Discipline is necessary for our survival. First Corinthians 13 is speaking of discipline. Ephesians chapter six is speaking of discipline. 
The Messiah say, put your sword away. That takes discipline. This is where our elders and teachers have been leading us to develop a behavior and character of discipline so we can withstand the fiery darts of the devil. Page 36, the, ineff uh, the inefficacy of repression. Watch this. And this is sort of going to lead us into our next session, God willing, as we begin to talk about the leaders and this guide and leadership that leads us into the light and leads the nations into the light. But we're going to get to that right now before we can lead the people into the light or even follow those who's been leading others into the light, we need discipline. We need to understand the science of revolutionary discipline. We need to understand and know what it takes to survive and win this battle. And we must also understand and know that we can be delivered and saved, how we can be delivered and saved, thus giving us faith and confidence of the helmet of hope and the breastplate of faith. The, the inefficacy of repression. First paragraph, if you don't mind, brother, we can start reading there. As we have already indicated, repression against a movement of nonviolent action does not always produce the desired results. Wait a minute. Notice what he's saying. Repression. The powers of darkness. The powers of the darkness of the rulers of this world. The powers that inflict unjust misery. Their repression against or their war against a movement of nonviolent action does not always produce the desired result. He's saying that they can lose. They're not always victorious. If it's done right, they can lose. In other words, the Bible is teaching us that if we follow this pattern, victory is there. And so if we're looking at this basic science of nonviolent action and war, as we have already indicated, repression against a movement of nonviolent action does not always produce the desired results. Under what conditions? Let's continue. If the nonviolent actionists remain fearless. If they remain fearless, hope, faith, ready to lay their life down, just like the Messiah was fearless, Saul, fearless, Isaiah, fearless, Amos, fearless, Jeremiah, fearless, Isaiah, all of the prophets, fearless in the face of repression. Read it from the top again for me, please. The inefficacy of repression. As we have already indicated, Repression against a movement of nonviolent action does not always produce the desired results. If the nonviolent actionists remain fearless, keep their nonviolent discipline, 
are willing to accept the sufferings inflicted for their defiance and are determined to persist, then the opponent's attempt to force them to submit to his will is likely to be thwarted. He's gonna lose. Basic knowledge. The, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. He got it all laid out for us. We must learn how to use this book. We must organize That's what kindness means. Remember what kindness meant? Why are we coming here to talk to you? Why are we going out in the streets to organize? Why? Because of the acts of kindness. And the acts of kindness are acts of benevolence. And this act of benevolence or kindness is what? How is it described? Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Organized for the purpose of doing good. Should we be organized for the purpose of bringing down the powers of corrupt dictators? Should we be organized to set the oppressed free, to free the captives, set them at liberty, opening up the sight of the blind, opening the prison houses, removing injustice and inequalities? Should we be organized for those works? Should we be organized? Are those works, are those good works? That's kindness, that's benevolence. Will we be making ourselves useful for the liberation struggle? That's kindness. That is benevolence. That is benevolence. Now, we have found just in this discussion the powers of darkness, they're thwarted if the people hold on to their revolutionary discipline. All of the efforts and all of the rants and all of the aggressions and antagonisms against the nonviolent actionist, the repression of the oppressor will not always achieve the desired results. We're gonna close with this, but before we do close, would you just please, just for the sake of the listeners as another witness, read the inefficacy of repression again, and we're gonna close for this discussion and God willing, we will meet again as we follow up with this. The leaders, following the leaders, continue to follow the leaders of the Bible and see as they hold the mantle and hold the light to lead the world to global liberation. We're going to follow them. But first, we needed revolutionary discipline. But we want to assure ourselves once more how if we follow it, just like Paul said, follow what I am telling you, what you have learned from me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. Then the victory is sure. The saints possessed the kingdom. The saints inherited the earth. They will be the beacon of light 
that will bring the entire world to liberation. When does this process start? We're coming to argue that it starts today. It have already started. Our master, Yehoshua ben Dawid, he started the movement. Follow him. And thus, we will conclude for today's session and God willing, we can pick it up again, but close for today's session with reading that segment excerpt once again. And then God willing from there, he will allow us to come again and have discussions, many more dealing with the scriptures and the truth of Elohim or the truth of God. Read that for us, if you will, my brother. Yes, sir. The inefficacy of repression. As we have already indicated, repression against a movement of nonviolent action does not always produce the desired results. If the nonviolent actionists remain fearless, keep their nonviolent discipline, are willing to accept the suffering inflicted for their defiance, and are determined to persist, then the opponent's attempt to force them to submit to his will is likely to be thwarted. That's why the wisdom of God shown when the Messiah yielded in nonviolent discipline to the authorities of the aristocratic class in Jerusalem and the imperial powers of Rome, what did he do? He secured the victory. And it was through that nonviolent action in which he have brought in victory for men and told men to follow that same path to bring forth victory. That's, thus he said, all power been given unto me. And he said, if you overcome, Revelation, he said, if you overcome, as I over have, have overcome, you shall sit with me in my throne as I have overcome and sit down with my father in his throne. Follow the pattern. It is secured. It is guaranteed to bring forth liberation. And the suppressive governments, their attempts to remain in power will be thwarted. Their attempts to destroy this revolutionary movement will be thwarted. So he said, follow now. Follow me and power and joint heirs to this earth, you will inherit it. This is what he's promising us. We are now going to seek this revolutionary discipline. Put away your sword, Peter. Paul said our weapons of war are not carnal. We must follow these master teachers so we can learn the way of salvation. Thus, once we organize following benevolence, persevere, long-suffering, faith, and confidence, then we are on our road to victory. Do you have anything you might want to add, my brother, as we uh, simmer down for this evening? 
uh, I would like to say shalom to all the uh, viewing audience. Uh, great discussion. I appreciate the time and being a part of it. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings to all those who sincerely search and the most high willing. We will be back again dealing with teachings pertaining to the kingdom of God and the word and all that it consists of and knowledges and science and bringing forth the education of liberation. So we say peace to all those who are sincerely searching and most high willing we will meet again.